So perception is the king, queen, and crown prince of the universe, I feel. It's actually not how good it is, it's how good we make you think it is. Mm. That perception, how good we make you think that it is, that's that marketing, that's a key to all success. A small town boy from Louisiana eventually found himself playing on stage with bands like Journey, The Grateful Dead, Carlos Santana, and in the studio, producing albums for people like Mariah Carey, Madonna, and some of the biggest artists in the world. I'm talking about the living legend, Randy Jackson. You might know him from American Idol, one of the biggest television shows ever, where he was a judge and discovered artists like Kelly Clarkson, Adam Lambert, the man has done it all. This episode of The Greatest Stories Never Told was filmed at my company because Randy and I are partners on a new business venture that you're gonna hear about today. And along the way, he's gonna tell you some wild and crazy stories that I guarantee you are gonna blow your mind. It's happening right now on The Greatest Stories Never Told. Thank you for having me, man. This is cool. Thank you guys for showing up and coming to work today. <laughs> the, the pleasure's all ours, Randy. I mean, you know, I know you have uh, a lot of fans in this room who have been watching your journey from afar, and it's, it's so exciting to have you here in the flesh and being able to partner on something that's going to change a lot of lives. Yes. So, yeah, we're really excited. So I thought it'd be fun to, to give everyone a deep dive into, you know, where it all started because, I mean, you've grown... Uh, to the top of, of several different industries. And, you know, I'm sure it doesn't feel like all that long ago you were running around the streets of Louisiana up to no good. I mean, no good, define no good. I mean, listen, I mean, we all started somewhere. Now, I mean, I grew up in lovely Louisiana. They're getting a lot of rain and it's hurricane and storm season right now. But, uh, you know, I was, uh, it's funny because Idol is really like a full circle thing for me because I was a kid with a dream. I was a kid that wanted to be a sports athlete. I played football, basketball, baseball, track and field, all throughout high school, two, three years of college. I was a kid that was a musician that wanted to be one of the greatest musicians on the planet. So I was in a ton of bands. Uh, I used to play in churches. Um, so I was that kid that was auditioning for Idol. I was a kid like that growing up with kid with a dream, knowing how do I get out of Louisiana? How, where's my dream going to take me? Going to every concert I could, or my parents could afford to send me to or take me to. Like, where was that going to end for me? So, um, yeah, I was up to a lot of no good and some good uh, as a kid growing up in Louisiana. So I, man, I started there and... Who'd you look up to back then? Who were your favorites? <clears throat> I love Zeppelin. Loved Hendrix, Miles, Coltrane, The Beatles, Motown, all the James Brown, Sly and the Family Stone, Woodstock. I just, still to this day, Woodstock to me is one of the greatest events ever. Because when you look at how much music came out of there and how those artists informed the world, like I laugh when I see like Greta Van Fleet now, like doing a copy of a Led Zeppelin thing, because it's like, wow, this is so, it's still going on 50 years later, you know what I mean? So, and I love the time that it was like free and music. You had Santana, I mean, you had everything you can imagine there. So that influenced me. But what I really uh, happened for me that was really great, 
I had a bunch of mentors that I didn't know were going to be mentors, or even that they were called mentors at the time. Because mm. um, they used to play music with a lot of older guys, a lot of older blues guys, R&B guys, rock guys. So every now and then they'd give me tidbits of information that would help later on to inform my young adult life. Uh, and I would listen to them and they would say, yeah, you know, just become the best you can be, man, and don't worry about the money. Let the money come to you. It'll come to you if you're great. People will pay you for being great. You make great products, they'll sell. Yep. Market it correctly. <laughs> oh. That's right. That's right. But, but, you know, it was that thing. So for me, I was like, dude, I love playing music and I love doing this. So I'm just going to try and become the best that I could become. Stay humble, compassionate, and know where I am and just try and be the best. And were you one of those guys who picked up the guitar and were just jamming out like right away? Or did you have yeah, to work at it for a yeah, while? Yeah, I was. But the thing is, my brother's a drummer. Uh, the thing is, is that though, in this life, and you guys get this well because you work at this great, amazing company, make great, amazing products, but you're in a competition. Yeah. So you made the best product with the best ingenuity and the best plan, marketing, publicity, everything went. And there's a lot of good musicians out there. A lot of great musicians. So that dawned on me when I was like 16, 17, like, whoa, there's a lot of good talented people out here. So what's going to be my niche? How am I going to carve myself out of this so that I seem somewhat special? Mm. What's going to be my specialty? Is it going to be gut health? <laughs> it's going to be the leaky gut like Mr. Gundry? I mean, what's, what, you know, what's going to be my music specialty? So um, I took every opportunity I could get to play. I did a tour with this guy named Clarence Gate Math Brown, this old blues guy, God rest his soul, from Orange, Texas. Anybody in here ever hear of Orange, Texas? It's like Blue California or something, yeah. huh? Weird. Guess they ran out of names. Call it Orange. Um, but he was just this classic guy that had so many stories and just tidbits about life for us. And I'm a young 16-year-old kid, just, you know, wide-eyed. I'm on the road, man, playing all these biker bars, these blues clubs, this whole thing. I mean, like, this is like a dream come true. But he gave me so many great tidbits of information about trying to become the best. And once again, not worrying about the process or the profit. Focus on what you can control. Mm. Become the best that you can become and the rest will fall into place. So once again, I heard that. So I tried to focus on that. He told me a lot of funny things too along the way that later was some interesting life lessons in dating Stuff like that. I don't know if we should get into that. No, 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 no. Let's get into it. What's uh, no, <laughs> what's no, more I mean, of that? Was this guy like your you know older older brother you never had, or like, um, what, was the, what was the age difference there? Oh man, I mean, my God, he must have been fifty years older than me at the time. Oh, okay. Um, we like to refer to him as a weird sensei. Mm. <laughs> um, no, you know, I think as a young kid, everywhere you go. Every girl you'd see, you'd go like, oh, she's the one, I love her. And he would always laugh and go, do you even know them? We go, no, but we love, how do you love and you don't know? So you just laugh, right? So I finally said to him, so what do you mean with all of this? Why are you always laughing at us? He says, well, you guys just don't understand. 
You don't know the true meaning of love. I go, okay, what's that? True meaning of love. Craig and his wife have this. Someone you can't live without. Mm. That's right. No matter what. True meaning of love. So I didn't really know that because I hadn't been in love yet. I'm 16. I don't know what love is. Well, you know, if I'm ever, I don't know, whatever. And you'd live, yeah, you'd never met someone that you were, li were living with. So. No. <laughs> well, my mom and dad. Yeah. And my brother and sister. So come to, I do the classic all-American thing. I'm dating a cheerleader in college. I'm playing football. Football guy, cheerleader. It's all-American, right? So this is the way. American is apple pie. Right. And she says that I think we should move in together. And I go, I don't think I love her. Because we were saying we loved each other, but I didn't want to move in with her. Mm. <laughs> so it's my first dose of real love. I guess this is not real love. I learned early on, Craig. So you didn't do it? I didn't do it. Mm. I fought it. I didn't do it. Okay. And in the end, I think I was right. Okay, so... Now, were you one of the, you know, Peter Pan, never grow up types? Peter and, you know, Pan, like, no, like, Craig, how come old on. Were you, how old were you when you finally did uh, move in with a woman for the first time? When I finally started to grow up? Yeah. I think I was 25. Oh, okay. So that's, that's not uh, bad, yeah, guys. Yeah. yeah. Right? Okay. It's pretty good, right? Yeah. yeah. And was, uh, was that a, you know, how'd you meet her? I met her, I was in, um, let's chronologically go back a little bit so I started touring more after I got out of uh, college okay so I started playing with Billy Cobham Joan Ponte Herbie Hancock all these jazz guys touring the world oh and what was your you were saying you know you have to position yourself right right so I to get bass. get in, in with Herbie Hancock and these guys what was your thing like what did you well I went to this audition thing? with like 65 bass players for Billy Cobham Billy Cobham was this amazing fusion drummer that was in the Mahavishnu Orchestra these are names you may not know because they're this jazz fusion thing from like the 80s, uh, 70s, 80s. So I went to this audition and I won the gig out of 65 people. So I go, God, I guess I, this is great. I'm going to go on the road. So that led me to meet a ton of other people. Herbie saw me play at a show in Chicago with Billy and it just opened up more and more doors. Because, you know, people come in here, you play, they come and test your products. They go like, oh, my God, this is great. I'm going to have more of this. I'm going to use this or whatever. So it was like that for me. So you just continue to focus on being the best, not thinking about the money. Not thinking about and the money. Because back your, in that day, there wasn't a lot of money. And was, that was your first big break was winning that first audition, 65 people? Break. Amazing. Uh, toured around the world twice. Was living in New York. Got really burnt out. And this is in your early 20s. Early 20s. Wow. Moved to... Houston, Texas, of all places. I was dating a girl at that time, and we were moving to Houston to try and get our lives a little better together with the, we got caught up in a lot of inebriance. <laughs> mm. Or substances, not golden hippo kind of substances. Right, right. Yet. Okay. <laughs> like di goes, okay. Different kinds of jungle different substances. Different kinds of jungles. Like different the, jungles. The Colombian jungle. So I think some things that probably they're still using at Coachella. Oh, yeah, yeah. Some, you know, vitamin looking stuff, whatever. Yeah, so yeah. So anyway, yeah. Um, so we went to Houston, Texas, of all places, to clean up. <laughs> okay. Why Houston, you say? She was from there. 
parents were there, whatever. We went there. I, six months into being there, three months into being there, broke up with her because I was getting it together. She still wasn't. You guys were living together, though. Yeah. Oh, man, that makes a breakups a little more difficult. It was definitely painful. Mm. Yeah. Whose stuff is which? Just keep it all. I'm just going to move on, whatever. So I met this other girl that I later married that moved. She was visiting her mom. She's from Seattle. We moved to San Francisco together, and I started working with another producer, Narder Michael Walden. Then I started working, uh, doing records and touring a bit with Carlos Santana, with Santana, the band. Oh, wow. So that's when I met Garcia and Weir and all those guys. We all became friends. Started this pickup group, all the Journey Boys. We all became friends, living in Marin. Any, uh, any jungle substances at those Jerry Garcia shows? <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, but those guys are so classic. I mean, they were like the ultimate hippies, right? The ultimate free spirits. Um, it's so cool, man. It's still so cool to this day because nothing was ever a problem. Jerry, you know, man, it's easy, man. Just let it flow, man. Just let it, you know, I mean, you know, I love those kind of people. That's my kind of vibe. You know what I mean? It's you like, learn a lot, I'm sure, working with folks like that that had. Yeah, because they enjoyed so everything that's around them. Mm -hmm. There's no push you, pull me kind of vibe going on. It just was very open and freeing, if you will. Like, if you lived in a free society, wonder what could happen. What if there were no traffic? What if it wasn't this hot in Woodland Hills? They're going, yeah. Yeah, nice. <laughs> but you yeah. know what I'm saying? He, he, was, he was that kind of guy, and Bob Weir is still a friend to this day. Those guys were just great guys. They were having a good time playing music and enjoying inebriance. <laughs> what was wrong with that? What was yeah. wrong with that, man? Yeah. Hey, didn't make a lot of money. Uh, and still one of the greatest bands ever because they could literally announce they were going to play the Staples Center here for a month, and the same people would show up every night. For a month. Sold out. Same wow. people every night. There's no band that I know of that could do that. So you're around 26, 7 at this time? Yeah. And playing with the biggest bands of the world. I mean, that must have been wild being at those huge stadiums. and. Yeah, you know, there were some things that went on that, you know, I'm probably not the proudest of, but whatever. We live, we learn, we grow, right? We grow up. What do your family think when that? I mean, that's not a long time, too, you know? You're living with your folks and, you know, what did you say you moved out? Uh, well, I moved out once I went to New York, and so I was living out in San Francisco and joined Marin County, which was a very amazing place at that time. Um, some of the greatest music ever came out of there at that time. Um, I mean, San Francisco's been legendary throughout the years, from Janis Joplin, Big Brother, The Holding Company, to Santana, to Sly and the Family Stone, to Tower Power, to Journey, to God, I mean, I, the dead, I mean, I, you know, where do you, where do you stop? So what was that like? entourage like like was it a tour bus or like you know for those of us who haven't been there in were world, tour buses so there were private you know? planes it was all of that it was the you know i lived in that true sex drugs and rock and roll time you guys like like i remember there were uh, no camera phones yeah. ah no cameras no social media so anything goes no instagram no twitter i like to say it in the british way twitter no twitter <laughs> 
None of that stuff, man. Just like taking over hotels, all of you like in What do you mean taking over yeah. Craig? What do you mean, man? <laughs> how okay? How many guitars have you smashed over TV sets in your <laughs> lifetime? I actually didn't smash a lot of guitars, but um, I don't even think I even watched TV back in that day. <laughs> they, well, it doesn't too many say, other things yeah, going on to like be watching TV. Yeah, pretty, hey, let me see the game. <laughs> I forget the game's on. I'm so out of it. The know? game's right there. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Video games, the start of it. Good. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So that was the downtime. You could escape. Video kick games. all the. You I wish know, Fortnite girls was around and... then. But, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But it was it was a good time. I mean, you know, listen, I learned a lot. I grew a lot. Um, learned what not to do, what to do. Um, and you know, I had some amazing experiences up there. And then got married and started that and. Then moved to LA and got divorced. Um, so were you with your lady in the midst of all of the yeah. touring and everything? Yeah. Wow. It must yeah. have been like a quite a scene. It, it, it became quite. <laughs> <laughs> it became quite a scene because let's say I was doing some things that maybe I shouldn't have been doing. Mm. In her eyes or in. Uh, you know, in retrospect, in my eyes too. But <laughs> okay, okay. at first, it was in her eyes. But yeah. you know, what do they call this? A lapse of judgment, a lapse in judgment, or something? We all have one of those once in a while. Yeah. Some of them last a few years. It's okay. Yeah. Some of yeah. them last ten yeah. years. I don't know. Yeah. Whatever. But you know, that's what makes us who we are, and it's about the lessons, right? That yes. Come from it. Yeah. That's what makes us Golden Hippo. Amen. Yeah. Amen. We've gone there. We've lived <laughs> it. We've conquered it. We've done it. Yeah. All right, so you're in the mix with some of these, you know, iconic bands of all time. I, I'm sure by this point you were really in demand for your skills on the bass guitar. But then you started going to the studio and making music, or was that uh, along I the started, same? Back then, I started writing and producing more, and um, we got very fortunate. We did um, the first three Whitney Houston albums. We did the Aretha comeback record. I used to, I had an apartment down in LA here and I used to come down and work on Dylan Records, Springsteen Records, oh, wow. Billy Joel, Elton John, um, Bon Jovi. Um, so everyone was coming to you or did you have like a team that was producing these or? No, how, you know, how, I became a session guy. So when you're okay. a session guy, you're like a gun for hire. So somebody says, hey, um, and I, the strangest thing, I first got kind of pulled into this. I did a session for this guy named Blackie Lawless. I don't know if you guys know this old heavy metal band. Um, and then I did something with this rock band from, um, I think they're from England. They're called Blue Oyster Cult. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So I started doing a lot more sessions, right? All right. And so I'd go down to LA, play on Lionel Richie Records or whatever. The Toto Boys are my friends. We were. You know, do things together. It just became that sort of thing. Mm. Um, and what are those studio sessions like? I'm sure everyone has a different process. You know, like is it? Like yeah, some but people you go more in there down to business, or sometimes it's more of a party. Or uh, there's always a little bit of a party atmosphere. The only real party atmosphere is I did with Aretha, God rest her soul, to God. Uh, with Whoopi Goldberg, we did the theme song for this movie, Jumpin' Jack Flash. Mm -hmm. We actually went to Detroit and recorded Jumping Jack Flash with Aretha singing. Oh, wow. With me, Ron Wood, Keith Richards, Chuck Lavelle from the Stones playing keyboards, myself, and Steve Jordan. 
So those guys, the Stones at that time, they probably still do, out in the studio in the live room, they would set up like a little wet bar. So it's almost like the studio was turned into like a club. So you could get drinks. You never went in the control room. You just hung out and jammed and played, smoked cigarettes or whatever kind of cigarettes. And, you know, you just ordered yeah. drinks. So you tell your wife, you're like, honey, I'm off to work. And she's like, wait a second here. You yeah. know, Keith, no, Keith was, Richards going to be there yeah, again right. today. You know? Yeah, Keith, man, those guys are those guys are so classic. They're so great. Uh, but, yeah, it's the only time it really was a party. Other than that, you'd party after the session. OK, most people. OK. You know, you go there, get the work done, you party later. Mm -hmm. and, and all of the artists had a different process. That was probably the only difference of the process. Yeah. The way that they liked to work. You know what I mean? Yeah. Nice. So you're making these albums, and then what was the catalyst that had you transition to helping musicians get their careers together? Um, and was it around that same time or, you know, how, how long was this period? Around that time, I'd gotten divorced and I'd moved down here. And I decided that I was getting burnt out as being a gun session player for hire, gun for hire. So I was like, okay, I got to figure out something here so I can, you know, retain my love for music forever. I decided I was going to get a job at a label. A friend of mine was working at Columbia Records. He said, man, you should come over here and work with us. They're hiring more musicians to do this stuff now, which makes sense. You hire music guys to look and procure and sign music talent. Duh. You know something about music? You should be working at the label because before that, there weren't a lot of musicians. A lot of promotion and marketing people that just had ideas about what could be mm. cool. So I took a job at Columbia Records and I started doing A&R for the next 15 years. And what was that like? Did you do you remember any stories of kids walking in there? There you saw something and they became. I um, you know you you remember the most things about A and R about the ones you missed ah or the ones you found and you found them first, but you always had president CEOs. The one that I hate the most that I missed, that I had. And she was 16, she got signed at 17, was Alanis Morissette. Wow. So the lead singer in Journey, Steve, Steve Perry, had a manager at the time, who was also Alanis's manager, Scott. And my president at that time of the label didn't really get it, didn't really like her. Thought the lyrics were offensive and Who's going to go down on you in a theater? What is she saying? Right? I mean, you know, this, these are her lyrics. I didn't make this up. So that was the song that she was playing around, too, huh? Oh, she'd yeah. written, I mean, I mean, I thought it was so bold, so, at that time, pro-woman, so, like, I'm taking my own power, mm. so, like, yeah, that's, that's one of the ones I hate that I missed. You were for it. You were for signing her, and then the, you got Had her, found her, we were oh, doing man. these demos. Mm. She later went to Maverick and the first record sold 38 million copies. And at that time, different from the streaming Spotify, all this nonsense now, at that time, 38 million copies sold, the label would take $6 a record. Wow. So $6 times 38 million. What? Oh, man. Never going to happen like and that in streaming. She was on the radio a lot, so that must have Dude, been constantly like, daily pain for you when you hear those songs, huh? 
But, you know, listen, we had some successes. <laughs> can, can someone cue up Alanis Morris at yeah. Star <laughs> But listen, I've missed a bunch of them. I missed on Starbucks before it went public. I had a shot at that because I was in this band with Jeff Lorber called Jeff Lorber's Fusion, and Kenny G was the sax player, and his dad was this VC guy from Seattle, and he came to us. I think you guys should invest in this company. If you got like 20 grand, Listen, you win some, you lose some. Look, yeah. I didn't invest in Beyond Meat. We had a shot at that before it started. Mm. Beyond Meat is exploding now with yeah. Impossible, and Huge Beyond IPO. Meat's even bigger because they got the approval, the FDA for International. They got, you know. Yeah. But So who'd you find back then that you were really excited uh, about? You know, found some artists that we loved. Uh, I was there when we signed The Roots. Oh, wow. Uh, we signed Destiny's Child. There were a lot of great, bright spots. Destiny's Child. Wow. They were all 14, and they were, there was like six of them at the time. Then the parents started fighting as in girl groups or boy groups they do with minors. And uh, there was only four left. So we made a deal to sign the four girls. We called mm -hmm. them Destiny. That wasn't even their name in the beginning. Oh, wow. Do that name came about on a phone call. Oh, really? Oh. Do you think in a different era, you personally would have ended up in a boy band? Ah. <laughs> uh, of that, but I don't know if I'd end up in a boy band, but you know, I was in a rock band with Journey. I mean, I probably, I wanted to be in Zeppelin, but you know, I mean, that kind of band, yes. Could uh -huh. have been in Metallica. <laughs> but you don't ever look at like Backstreet Boys and be like, man, if I was on the no, a little bit later. No, know? it's a little too corny for me. I mean, I, <laughs> I love them, they're great, but it's like, it's not my whole vibe, you know? Like, I need to be a little edgier. Mm -hmm. than that. Although, I did work with NSYNC and they were nice, they're nice guys. Mm -hmm. Justin Timberlake's mad talented. Did you? Mad did, talented. You see them back in the day and yeah. know he had something special? Like, what do you look for when you're, you know, sizing up an artist? Like, what is it that separates those people like uh, the Timberlakes that have that like iconic star power? The real big things are the three things that, we talked about this a lot on Idol, the three things that really make something go unbelievable talent uniqueness of star power that's big and an amazing runaway hit song ah but that's star power britney wasn't the best singer but she had a star power thing and the label they made her bolder than anyone else madonna maybe wasn't the best most unbelievable talent but a megawatt star. Mm. Were you working with Madonna before she became a huge star? No, as she became a huge star in the beginning. Okay. Yeah. She was definitely dialed in. Yeah. She was a megawatt superstar. What was it like working with her in the studio? It was great because she was bold. She knew what she wanted to do, where she wanted to go. Uh, you know, it's like there was no holding her back. She was one of those people that would just come in and, and run this. This show. is what I'm doing. This mm. is how I'm doing it. Anybody tries to knock me off, just try. I'll beat you down at every step. <laughs> Love it. She was strong. Mm. She's still strong. So you're in the A&R business, and then I know that American Idol story is a little, little bit. Uh, it almost no, didn't happen, you know, right? Yeah, you know what happened was an agent friend of mine called me and said, you were just in England, because I had been working with Mariah Carey a lot since the beginning of her career. We were in England, she was doing some shows over there. I was her A&R guy, musical director, and then later became her manager. 
we were doing some shows over there. I ran into Simon Fuller. Say, hey man, what's going on? He was managing Spice Girls all this at the time. Uh, you know, we got the show Pop Idol over here. Your friend Simon Cowell's on there. I go, oh, cool. Um, I say, how's it doing? He says, man, it's doing amazing. We're talking about bringing it to the States. So I get back. I'm in my office at MCA Records Universal at the time. I'd left Columbia after 11, 12 years. I get this call from an agent that I knew. He was now at CAA saying, hey, you know, we got this show. We're going to package it and try and bring it over here. Would you ever entertain doing something like this? I know you ran into Fuller. Are you in England? Uh, what do you think? Or go, well, send me a copy of the thing. Let me look at it. I looked at it. It was laughing. It was funny. Um, and were they asking you about being a judge yeah. up front? Is that how the conversation yeah, was going? Yeah, I was okay. like, yeah, maybe if you sell it, man, hit me back and let me know. But, you know, like, I got this job. I can't. I got a contract. I you would have had it. to leave yeah. MCA. I can't really do this. This oh, is not okay. really okay. my thing. Um, finally, a year later, they sold it. And they called me and said, hey, would you come in and really have a serious conversation about doing this? So that's how it all started, and I said yes. Wow, and was that something that kept none you up of at us night knew, at the time, or was well, it pretty None of us easy? knew it would even happen or go anywhere. We're all just taking a leap of faith. You knew though, someone. You, if that didn't work out, you could get back in the industry. I'm sure with right. you know your right. track record, um, but still a big jump. It was a big leap, but I'm one of those guys. I you know, I love taking chances. I love feeling. Um, intuitive about where the road's going to lead or where the road's going or just, you know, that universal something's pointing me in this direction. Maybe I should check it out. Mm. Um, and I did it and the rest is history. So how does that work with that show? Is it you don't tape a season in advance of Idol because people are calling in and voting, right? No, so what it's you do like is you go out you on the, the road. One, the one show. Oh, you do the whole road. Then you edit first. those up, and those okay. become the first shows that you see, the first eight or ten shows. So you were out there on the road doing those auditions for uh, uh, sort of, time? Sort of. Okay. You sent in a stunt double? <laughs> there was a crew that went out many times over the summer. Okay. Bring us back to findings. We'd choose the ones we liked, and we'd go, okay, this year we're going to these eight cities. People would come to those eight cities that got chosen to come and audition in front of us. So they were pre-sorted? Pre sort of pre-sorted, and then okay. we would sort it out from there. Gotcha. So they'd pick, like, you know, six of the good ones and four of the really bad ones? To I wish it was six. The... They'd pick, like, 300, 400, oh, 500 dang. in each city. Okay. And we'd see them and pick through them, and we'd bring back, 60 or 80 from each city. So you're putting a lot of time in before they even hit the airwaves. And at any time during that, were you like, shoot, this is this better work? You just didn't know, you know? Yeah. I mean, that first season, the show had such a weird, rocky start. I think the first episode we were taping here at the Hollywood Athletic Club, which is now some other place, Boulevard or something three or something on Sunset, Kyle, me, Kyle, and Paula got into a big fight after the first contestant. What happened? You just guys just couldn't come to consensus? Uh, I, I, we sit down. We're about to judge. This kid comes in. He's singing. It's pretty good. Kyle goes, you suck and you're horrible. Whoa, come on, man. What are you doing? 
So we go in the back with this huddle. He's like, what do you mean? This is what I do. What do you mean? This is what you do. I mean, how can you be doing this? Like, I was actually good. I hated him. I mean, you know, so we started this whole banter. Mm. So we finally came to a place. Two hours later, we started back filming. But it's just like a shock. Like, wait a minute. How can you say somebody good that they suck and they're horrible? Hmm. But that's his, his flavor, That was his huh? opinion. Okay, gotcha. So we three had opinions. Okay. So then, it, then you film all this, and it goes on the air. Was, like, the first episode a hit, or how, how did that go? First episode was the highest-rated night in the history of Fox as a premiere. Oh, dang. So then you were like, okay, let's do this, because that, then the momentum's built, and everyone wants to see. And it started from there, and it went like gangbusters i mean knock on wood thank god i mean it's like dude mm. they were at the height 32 million people twice a week so 64 million people it was on twice a week, a week too wow so tell it's me, a lot of eyeballs tell me about the first time you saw kelly clarkson audition there do you remember that uh we saw kelly in dallas at a vfw hall this is the first i'm telling you dude it was meager beginnings Drake was right, started from the bottom, now we're here. Yeah. We were in, dude, that's like like one of those Masonic temple halls like <laughs> on the other side of town. Where you could get a free space to film. Oh something. my God, dude. Uh, <laughs> she came in and she was amazing. But was she standout or was, you Unbelie know? We knew okay. she was the winner. I think every really? season when we saw people. Wow. We kind of knew. Hey, I hope you're enjoying these stories as much as I am. I want to know from you, who should I interview next? Maybe it's your favorite celebrity, your favorite athlete, your favorite author, or just someone you know who has a story that's never been told before. Comment below. Let me know who it is. And then hit that subscribe button so you get notified when I interview the person that you pick. Because it's so rare that someone has that, those three things. Yeah, well, I guess you didn't know she'd have a hit song she by then. But then you amazing. Can... Okay. She was amazing. She had a lot of personality. Mm-hmm. We also thought Alan Lambert was going to win. We pegged him as the winner, but I can't remember who won that season. But Adam did, he came in second. But so I thought Adam Lambert was going to win too. And I was actually quite uh, uh, upset when Adam didn't win. And you threw stuff it, at the TV? Well, to pull out your pistol and shoot the TV like Elvis? You know that guitar TV <laughs> through the TV? That was what I did. No. Uh, so it, it actually launched a conspiracy theory in my what? own psyche and i felt like it was rigged so adam got second on purpose because they knew that adam was going to be a star either way but the other guy we don't remember his name i'm sure chris allen okay i think that's who it is so so they but they did the other guy didn't have the star power that adam had but they knew if he got first place they'd be able to make a a top you know brand around him but they th thought adam would be either way so maybe they had adam lose on purpose no it just it was a weird i don't know it's a different it's a different time it's could you tell me if i was right <laughs> yes but you're not right okay all right, all right, all right. <laughs> no 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 i mean public votes that point we had nothing to do with it would it be uh uh un Unbelievable or un, uh, out of the question to say Adam Lambert was robbed. <laughs> I think he was. I think he was too. Okay, I just yeah. wanted to make sure. I think he was robbed. Make sure we were I clear think, on that. I, but, yeah. I think, but I think maybe the public kind of misunderstood mm. him a bit because guy was a star, amazing personality, amazing voice. 
You don't join Queen and sing in Queen if you're some slouch. Yeah, he's playing in L.A. with Queen <laughs> this month. Yeah. Doesn't happen. Yeah. Well, he came out, you know, with quite a career, so. Did you vote for him, Craig? I, I was like, you know, sending positive energy. You wanted yeah, to yeah, vote yeah. for him. Yeah, I was sending positive energy. Is this one of those things like Craig, the actual come on, elections? Man. Oh, Tell oh, me oh you man, voted I guess I can't him, complain man. if I didn't vote. Uh, you know, my, I had bad cell phone service when I was watching. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no. oh, I shared a video of him on my Facebook page. You did? Singing Mad World. Facebook. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mad World, what a great song Mad that is. Mad World, yeah, oh man. Sing it for Craig, stand up yeah, for the... Yeah. I, 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 I don't have my band here. Wait, does anyone have a bass guitar? If, if you play oh, the bass, have, I will sing. We should have Mad Golden World. Hippo Talent Show. Ooh, there is yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh man, don't tempt us. Don't what tempt about us. the Golden Hippo Talent Show? <laughs> so... <laughs> that didn't go down well. Before we get stuck uh, with me uh, singing and, and clearing the room, which will right. happen real quick now. Okay, so... American Idol becomes just a phenomena, and that must have been interesting for you personally because, you know, while you were touring with the biggest bands in the world, like, I'm sure the level of fame that happened when Idol hit was, like, just unreal, right? I mean, did it go from, It like, was different, but, you know, in my journey days, I think the first outdoor concert at Calaveras County Fairgrounds up in... Um, near near Napa, but it's, it's actually it's more east. It's in the Calaveras Mountains near Yosemite, uh, we played a festival with all, with Foreigner, with all these bands, Van Halen, all these guys. But for me, Idol was a different kind of fame. But for me, on that stage, the first night with that band, there were 150,000 people in the crowd. What? Hearing the whole crowd sing every word of all the band songs moved me to tears wow. because I finally realized what it was all about. So when you see U2 being carried around, Bono's on his back through the audience, these people loved you and your music that much to learn every word and melody to every song. This is more powerful, so that cuts me back to the blues guy. This is more powerful than the money. Don't get me wrong, I love money. I ain't gonna lie. But this really touches the soul. This is the real reason you get into it because people finally get you, understand you, and those songs mean something to them. Amazing. Enough to remember them and learn them and go and pay tickets to the show and sing every word. So that Happy. was like true. Dude. Fan connection. Idol was a different kind of thing. It was great. Um, amazing fandom, amazing people. All of that's great, but just different. Yeah. Do you keep in touch with some of the people from Idol? Yeah, I talk to Kelly every now and then. I talked to Carrie about a month ago. Saw her at a thing. Adam, I talked to I think I'm seeing him tomorrow, actually. Oh, nice. Tell him I was sending that energy. You know, tell yeah. him I was, I, was, I was rooting for him. He and I are doing something Don't bring with up Kyle. that voting thing. But. We're going to do something with Kyle tomorrow. I'm going to tell him, hey, man, this guy Craig, dude, he hates your guts. <laughs> <laughs> he wouldn't vote for you, dude. I mean, you That's know. the reason you lost. It's his vote, oh, man. Oh, shoot. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I see, talked to Caleb a couple months ago. I, yeah, I run into a lot of them a lot. I mean, 
I always tell people when, when they ask me about you that you're like the mayor of Los Angeles because anytime we're sitting down having lunch, it's like a line of people just coming up to say hi to you and you know, I like bring to you refer the house myself, wine and cheese. And Craig, just, you, know. you should refer to me as the Lord of LA. The Lord, okay, yeah. excuse me. Excuse me, your, your Lordship. If it pleases you, me Lord. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, listen, I know a lot of people have been very fortunate. I've been doing this a long time. Um, very blessed to do it. Very blessed to be here with you guys. Very blessed to launch these amazing products. Yeah, so let's talk about your health journey. So you're on American Idol. I think you had to have a Coca-Cola sitting on the stand, right? Uh, I had a Coke cup. Uh huh. I don't know what was in it, but I had a Coke cup. And you grew up in, uh, in Louisiana where I think you, you told me once it's uh, fashionable to eat as uh, gluttonous as possible right well you know in the modern guard times there's a thing called fat tuesday and what fat tuesday really means is man you must be doing great man look at that belly you eat good oh okay. that means that you're wealthy you're having fun you're living your best life because you know it's like i guess it's back to the roman empire with the feast yeah you must be living your best life you're feasting on everything you want right yeah um yeah, I mean, listen, growing up down there is the best. I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. I mean, it's the greatest music. I mean, food, my God, dude. So but good. dieting, yeah. health, not so much. Well, and you were an athlete, too. I know you played a ton of football, a ton of tennis. So Well, at that time when I was growing up, yes. But later on, with all the inebriants and living that rock star life, um, you know, you kind of go in and out mm. of a good health thing. Uh, so needless to say, by the time I wound up on Idol, my health was in the worst shape it had ever been. Because I was doing A&R, which is a sedentary job at a desk or whatever. It was just rough. Oh, yeah. Really rough. Um, and I think I was like 363 pounds. Wow. I was, I was, I was just in terrible shape. So... Uh, but you know, Idol is one of those kinds of shows that we say if you're going to judge people, and because of Kyle, he was harshly judging people, we say, look, if you're going to dish it out, you've got to be willing to get it back. So people would come in, say something, people go, yeah, but yeah, and you're fat. And I go, yeah, I know, I got mirrors. I see myself. Mm. You know what I mean? So by the time the second or third season rolled around, my doctor was like, bro, I'm telling you, unhealthy, this is not going to end well. This is not, this is not good. You mm. got to. So finally, I said, okay, I'm going to do something about it. But about two months later, I was just feeling the worst I've ever felt. Thought I had a cold, a flu I couldn't get rid of. I was on antibiotics. Went to the doctor. No, that's not the thing. Let me run some tests. Ran some tests. No, that's not it. I don't know. I'm at home with my then girlfriend. And she says, listen, if you don't feel better by five, let's just go to the emergency room. Go to the emergency room. Down the emergency room at Cedars takes one look at me and goes, you've been sweating a lot. You've been, uh, yeah. He goes, let me run uh, one test. Checks my vitals. Runs a test and comes back and he says, your doctor's also here, but he's gonna tell you the news. 
you've developed type 2 diabetes. Your blood sugar is over 500. Wow. Normal blood sugar is like after you eat 120, 130, 110, over 500. You could go blind, you could get a stroke, you could get a heart attack. I mean, just all kinds of stuff, right? Oh, man. So, you know, you sit there and you go, wow, I thought this stuff happened to other people, but now it's happening to me. So now I have an incurable disease. I can manage it. It's not curable. There's no cure. There's no cure. Wow. So I go, I guess now I'm forced to get it together. So I go on a massive diet. I join three gyms, craziness. Um, I do this liquid diets, the fasting things. You lose the weight, but as soon as you eat a morsel of anything, it starts to come back, um, which is, you know, it starts this yo-yo effect. And finally, I meet this guy at an event that I was at, and he does bariatric surgery. You know, what the hell is that? It's called gastric bypass. This guy started it, he's perfected it, he's done it all over the world for millions of patients. I think long and hard about it. I have a consultation with him. I have two of them, as a matter of fact. And I go, what do I got to lose? He says, it'll immediately help to start to reverse your type 2 diabetes and get you to a place that you can control and manage it. Mm. So I had people who don't know, gastric surgery. bypass is like basically shrinking of the stomach. Yeah. That's the best way to describe and, it. Um, it worked. It worked. And it was tough, though. It was hard recovering. Yeah. But it really worked. And then after that, you have chance, to be... Well, it gave me a chance to restart my entire system. Mm. Also, when you restart it, you find out things that you're allergic to and not allergic to because they do all these tests. Uh, so for the longest, I couldn't eat dark chocolate. I still can't. Um, Avocado sometimes, anything that's way too spicy, I love spicy, anything that's way too rich, way too sweet, way too buttery, you get sort of a sensation called dumping. It's like the worst heartburn you've ever had. Mm. So you gotta like, it you know, takes you hours for it to pass, it's just so weird. Oh man. Uh, because now with the bypass, it goes directly into your bloodstream. Oh, okay. So it's like dumping a bunch of sugar. Wow. Like, and sugar does this, and that. So you feel it instantly. Instantly. Mm. Um, so it gave me a chance to restart my whole entire health thing, learn about myself, learn about the things that I shouldn't eat, what I could eat, uh, sit with nutritionalists to really try and get my diet, my diet habits together. I sat with behavioral psychologists because, you know, before you can change something, you have to change the way you think about it. So if you can change your mindset about it, any obstacle you're trying to move, that's a little bit what hypnosis does a little bit. Anything you're trying to move, if you change the way you look at it or think about it, you could probably alleviate it easier. But if you still have the same thoughts about it, it's gonna be hard to move on. So I did, I did a lot of work and I've been able to sustain it. That was 17 years ago. Wow. Well, you look great today. Thanks and, guys. You know, yeah. I feel great today. Ama yeah, amazing recovery. Yeah, and uh, I, you, uh, I know you had back surgery recently. I had back which surgery about people, six months ago. You know, yeah, so that's uh, the cane is. Uh, yeah, you know it's a cane, but it is, is a pimp cane. It is I a mean, pimp cane. 
you know, I figure if you're gonna have a cane, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, well, yeah, dude, yeah. Come on, man. Yeah. Because uh, uh, I was like, I can't, can't. The dog can go out with just a regular cane, man. It's all right. I need a cane. I got. So I had to search to find a pimp cane. Uh, no, I had uh, a laminectomy, a spine thing, and I had L4, L5. So I had some serious work done that I waited and waited till the, I tried everything. I tried all sorts of injections. I tried cupping, all kinds of, you name it, I tried. Oh, man. And was that a result of past sports or being overweight or a little it bit of like- It was past sports and I had a couple of really nasty falls mm. about a year ago playing tennis, really terrible falls mm. uh, on concrete that, you know, it's one of those things. I was playing doubles with these guys. And, you know, you get up, people go, you okay? You get up, you go, yeah, yeah. I'm cool. And you're like, God, that hurt, right? <laughs> but you don't want to show it. Then you get home and you can't move. And you go like, I don't know if that was good. <laughs> it didn't seem good to me. Um, but, yeah, I, um, but it's healing nicely, I'm, I'm happy to say. Great. I'll be back dancing. Craig and I met, and we were dance partners. Well, you know, I have a saying that I'm pretty well known for, and that is that you're never too old to start a boy band. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I was going to say, you guys should start one here. You guys should start a hippo boy band. I mean, you heard it here from the A&R Maven himself. You know. But do it like in K-pop, though. K-pop, yeah. hippo That's boy big band. right now. Yeah. K-pop is huge. Yeah. Who likes K-pop in here? Every hand up, almost. It's okay. good though. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, you speak it. I like it. I like it. Yeah, I, I like that uh, Psy song. I get it from my daddy. You know. <laughs> you sing that around the house. I mean, it's it's pretty much uh, on repeat in my car. Uh, I get it sunset. from my daddy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. my God, that'd be funny. I like that. Well, so it's, you know, amazing seeing, uh, seeing you here, you know, shining full of energy. And I love how passionate you are about health and about passing on what you've learned. These guys don't know. Craig turned me on to something that I love and I swear by. And I don't swear by much. The Reds, dude. Who, is everybody doing the Reds in here? Yeah, yeah. We all love the Reds. Dude. Yeah. I got hooked on the Reds. It's a good thing to be hooked on. Yeah. Well, you know who else uh, likes those products is Kelly Clarkson. I know. Yeah, she's a big fan. I know. So your next venture, putting out some of your own health products, Unify Health Labs. And, you know, when you and I met, you told me a little bit about the story, but I think everyone would be thrilled to, to hear it and intrigued. You know, you talked about how you'd when you first looking for answers, you'd walk into the store and there'd be just thousands of bottles on the shelf. And we just came up with a commercial that we got to do. Oh, this is going to be good. Yeah, it's going to be a good commercial. But I mean, me, like everyone else, when you think about if you go into Whole Foods, Air One, whatever is your flavor of store, I know I'm sure some grocery stores, I know Bristol and Gelson's have like health food aisles or whatever with vitamins. But when you go in to buy vitamins, there's so many by each brand you have no idea you have to be an expert to know what you should take and what you should do 
So you try your best, you ask somebody that works there, and hopefully they know and they're sending you down the right aisle and the right stuff, but you just don't know. So I was saying to Craig, like the confusion, for a lot of us when you're thinking about what to take, I don't take as many vitamins as Craig does, but I must have 15 bottles of stuff or whatever on my counter. Um, but you go in there and you get very confused because I don't know what to take. I don't know what to take for my specific problem. I don't know if it should be a pre or pro. You try and read as much. You Google as much as you can. You go to WebMD. You go to all these sites. You go to all this stuff. But what I wanted to really do is take some of the guesswork out of it and make it simple and say, hey, these are the five things you should be taking, period. Yeah. So Craig and I have this idea. We want to do a commercial where we go to somebody's house and there's a hundred bottles. We just sweep them off the thing and go, take only these five. Yeah. It's going to be called crap. Extreme Vitamin Makeover. Yeah. yeah. We're going we're to pile up all the vitamin bottles on the kitchen island and then Randy's going to go slip and slide style down. Just <laughs> <laughs> come all off and I'm going to come up with the Unify Health model. But, yeah. you know, I, I love the concept of unifying ingredients around root causes instead of right. just trying to, you know, like, you know, people tell you if they have bad digestion, you know, and like most doctors will say, oh, here's a Pepto-Bismol or here's a Tums or something like that, you know. But I love the concept of Unify Health, unifying these ingredients to address the root cause instead of just the symptoms to actually promote healing. Yeah, and I think, I, I think probably most people have no idea what they should take. And I'm sure a doctor will say you need some vitamins. Although, still mad at those, those hair guys with those gummy bear hair things. What were they called? Yeah, did you guys take those? You did? Did they work? They worked? It tasted good, yeah. <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's like, I think there's such misbad information in there. Yeah. You've been taking those, those hair gummies? <laughs> yeah. You know, you see mine is like growing like weeds, you know, like I got yeah. the faux hawk jumping off. You, you got to snort them. Yeah. <laughs> to get snort them. Yeah. 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 Melt them down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In the skillet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited about Unify Health Lab. This is an exciting time. Yeah, well, I know it's going to impact a lot of people, you know, and there's been so many people around the world that have been following your journey and are looking to take that first step towards a healthy journey of their own. So, health is the new wealth, guys. Amen. It really is. So, yeah. We need some money, too, but listen. <laughs> health is the new wealth. You want to be healthy so you can spend that money when you get it. Yeah. Well, Randy, thanks so much for being here. Dude, Craig. with us. Dude, yeah. brother. I love this. Thank you so much. Yeah, so we're going to open it up. Now, we've got time for a few questions. So if you have a question for Randy. No relationship stuff. I, <laughs> I've been divorced twice, so I don't know. What is Maybe, that? That's the, the catch box. It's microphone, so make sure you speak right into it. Uh, what? Hold, hold the microphone up so it uh, catches it. What, did, what made you and Mariah get along so well, and what's the craziest thing you saw go down? When is what? What made you and Mariah get along so well, and what's the craziest thing you saw go down behind the scenes? <laughs> All right, so the question is what made you and Mariah Carey get along so well, and what's the craziest thing you saw go down behind the scenes? 
I mean, she and I are both artists. I met her when she was 18. I was working for her husband, then also her manager, Tommy Matola in Columbia. And we just hit it off as fast friends because you, if you call her right now, her whole music is gospel music. I grew up in the gospel church. I love gospel music. We just, we hit it off. Um, and you know, I was there in the very beginning. Her first shows, I helped her get her on stage. She was super nervous. So we, you know, we're friends for life. Um, we've had some wild, interesting times. Um, some of the craziest times around the world that I can't even, I, I just, I just shake my head and go, wow. Uh, I was there. I mean, anything you can name, uh, we did it. I'm thinking back now, we did a fundraiser for Barack Obama when he was running and there was a guy that really was dying to meet her. His name is Cory Booker. I think he's now running. Yeah. Um, but just that whole exchange and like just, you know, it just, just at every turn there was some madness craziness. Idol was madness craziness. Everything we did was just, you know, full of color. So you're pleading let's, the fifth. Yeah. Okay. Let's just say it was oh, full of color. All right. Who has another question? Is there literally a microphone in the box? There should be. Yeah. Nice. That worked, actually. Check, check. All right. Wow. Who, who came up with this? Who has, a, who has a question for Randy? I love this. <laughs> JC, I don't want to hit that light. As I hit the light. All right. Hey, Ronnie, thanks for coming, you dog. Thank you, man. Good looking out. I thought you were taller. Huh? I, th I thought you were taller. Oh. oh. By the way, we have a Randy upstairs here. Randy Clemens. Uh, oh, yeah. Yes. He's got a good name. I know, I know. I love his name. Hey, so I work in HR here. Um, we have about a thousand employees. And uh, so I've seen many life events and situations. And by now, I don't believe that things are just luck. Uh, things come from somewhere. So you mentioned all these breakthroughs and all these successes in your career, but they come from somewhere. So I wonder if you could tell us some life-changing uh, moments that you had that made you who you are, that manifested in all these successes out there. Uh, good, good question. I think it was like a lot of lessons that I long, learned along the way. Um, first things that come to mind, two things my dad would always say. The one thing you know is you never ever really know. Hello? The other thing he would always say, and Craig and I use this a lot now, and I'm sure he says this to you guys, make sure the juice is worth the squeeze. Mm. Hello, I'm working on this, working on this, doing whatever. For that? My God, I need to get a new job. I need to do something else. Um, I also think that that early lesson of trying to stay humble and utmostly compassionate um, in what you're doing um, and really being a sponge to all of the people above you and taking the tidbits of lessons that you can learn, the wisdom you can glean from them to put that into your own life and pay it forward. 
was a good thing because there was a guy as a mentor to me as a producer, a guy named Tom Dowd. Uh, Tom Dowd was a legendary producer from the Atlantic Records years with Armored Ettergan. They did Ray Charles, Aretha Franklin. He did all the early Rod Stewart records, the first 10 Rod Stewart. I mean, this guy was amazing. All Did a lot of the Bee Gees, amazing guy. So one of the greatest things he ever said to me, and you can apply this to anything. So I was a you know, hotshot musician, had gone to music school, summers at Berkeley, this, that, the jazz guy. I'm doing a session for Rod Stewart. Uh, so he says to me, uh, so what do you want to do? What's your, what's your career path like? I said, well, someday I'd like to become a producer like you. I admire your work. You're amazing. He says, um, uh, okay. I said, well, what, what can you teach me first to come into produce? He says, well, pick up the Billboard magazine. Pick it up. He goes, um, look at the top 10. No, look at the top 30. Look at the top 30. He says to me, he says, musician kid, right? Jazz, music school, the whole thing. I go, yeah. He says, you see anything in the top 30 there that you like? <laughs> I go, yeah, there's some stuff in there, man. It's cool, man, but I don't really love any of this. You know, like, you know, these people that talk about they want to be in the music business or in any business say stuff on the radio is crap. All the vitamin makers are crap. Everything's crap. I hate it all. Right. So he said to me, your first role as a producer is to figure out why people are loving that. I don't care whether you like it or hate it. Why are people loving that? You got to figure it out and how to apply that to what you're trying to make. Mm. Why do they love Soul God? Well, I don't know. Why do they love Arcoxyciliums? I don't know. Why do they, I mean, why, you know? So what's in that that makes people go, wow. So in essence, what he's saying, look at the thing that's the biggest, largest. If you're making cars, the biggest car manufacturer, the most successful in anything, how do I become Warren Buffett? What did Buffett do? What did Steve Jobs, what did these guys do? What did they showed some Starbucks, what did they do? How do I apply that to my life? You gotta start somewhere, but you gotta build it up. So, because he knew that the musician kid was gonna be in high snobbery about everything that wasn't, so, that wasn't Muse or like one of these fusion rock bands or King Crimson or, or whatever, you know what I'm saying? So it was a very interesting lesson for me and it also humbled me to say like, and I don't care what kind of music, I don't care what kind of thing it is. Why is that working? Why is H&M and Forever 21 successful? Why is it? We know it's cheap. We know it's three washes or whatever the hell it is, but why is it working? How do I apply that to what I'm trying to build do? How do I apply that to my vitamins, to my supplements, to my whatever? Why, you know? What's the marketing? What's the promotion? What's the publicity? What's the R&D? What's the wording? What's the messaging? What's the... So it it's, it's applies to everything in life. So I really took that to heart because at that time I did hate almost everything. <laughs> so 
Not that I had to learn to love everything, but I had to learn to understand everything. I hit you on TV. So you hear people now today saying, I'm sure some of you have done this. God, they play that song so much. I hate it, but now I can't get it out of my head. That's the idea. That's the idea. And you find yourself singing and you go, God, I hated that. I hate boy bands, but now I'm singing that song. Backstreet's back, all right. <laughs> so true, you know, and that's something we talk about in marketing as well. It's like so many companies come out and they just like will design the, the product that they want for themselves without thinking about the rest of the world that is not in that same circumstance as they are, you know, and then they'll talk about why they made it for themselves and all the benefits that it has for themselves, but they're not thinking about how the public perception is going to be because the first thing someone thinks about when they come across any website or any commercial or advertisement on the internet or anything like that is what's in it for me. Right. And if they don't find something that's in it for them, they're on to the next thing, especially in this land of infinite scrolling that we live in now. Well, and the other really important thing that I learned when I started doing A&R Columbia Records, the first month on the job, because I mean, I hated A&R people, because I was a musician, I was in bands, I was a writer, producer. To me, the reason the crap's on the radio is because some stupid A&R guy signed it, didn't know what they were doing. Still don't like A&R people that much, even though I was one for many years. Um, but sitting with the marketing people the first month of my job at a major label, I really finally learned the true art of perception. So perception is the king, queen, and crown prince of the universe, I feel. It's actually not how good it is, it's how good we make you think it is. Mm. So, cut to. Is it great? Maybe it's not great, but you're loving it now. We figured out a way to make you love it. It's soda good for you. It's terrible. People are still drinking them. Companies are still in high volume business. Yeah. It's being known to cause cancer every day. I was reading something this morning about too much fruit juice can cause links to cancer. I mean, it's just, you know. So that perception how good we make you think that it is, that's that marketing, that's a key to all success. Think about it. Yeah, true in music, true in true everything. True in fashion, true in everything you can imagine. Mm -hmm. The Prada stuff is really made very cheaply, but you'd swear it's the greatest stuff on the planet. You know what I mean? So true. I mean, I can think of an instance also, thinking about, when you think about some of the artists, the pop stars, Little Nas X has got a massive song. Is he that great? He's okay, maybe, it's all right. The song is massive. And you think he's the next coming since sliced bread. It's huge. I think it's been number one in 75 countries or something crazy. She is massive. But it's, it's really, in, and if you have something great and the perception, the sky opens. That's when you really That's when you really wide. hit the mother. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Randy, thanks so much for being here. Craig really Duke, appreciate brother, it. You know on. what? A lot of people don't, uh, yeah. 
You know, one thing one thing uh, we didn't mention earlier, I just want to uh, mention it as, as like a pickup, um, is that you were so passionate about health, you wrote a book. That yeah, a, I've had you know, a lot of people books. Don't, don't know about that you wrote a book specifically on health. Yeah, I had body, three books out, uh, Body yeah. and Soul. Uh, because, you know, I wanted to enlighten people on my journey, what I went through. Uh, I talk, I have psychologists and psychiatrists and nutritionists in there talking about what, how you eat, and that behavioral modification science of like, I want to stop smoking. You have to change the way you think about smoking because there's a reason that we do everything, right? So psychologically, when you think about it, there's a reason that anybody does anything in excess, eating in excess, drinking in excess, anything, taking too much of this, doing too much, exercising in excess. So you have to kind of treat, to Craig's thing, the root problem. So the psychiatrist or the therapist goes in and goes like, okay, what's really going on? I know we love cake, but let's not eat that much cake. Why are you eating that much cake? I know you like to work out, but 20 miles a day running and four hours on the weights is maybe a bit much. What are we running from? What's happening with us? What's going on? So I wanted to put this in the book because in college I was a psych major and a music major. So to me, the two always worked hand in hand. I want to understand what my feelings are. Why am I feeling this way? Why am I doing this? Why did I form this habit? You know, so I, you know, I just tried to dive in a little bit on that. So the book is like the inner game of getting your health yeah. together. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. How did I get here? I got here some way. Uh, I was 363 pounds because I ate the food, obviously wasn't working out. So and I knew the food was bad for me, but you know, I was probably eating my feelings, which I was. Yeah. Working out your feelings, drinking your feelings, whatever. And whatever those feelings are, those feelings could be today, could be years ago, could be wherever, whatever. Could be your own insecurities, could be outside. I mean, you know, I'm feeling like there's going to be a therapist on the thing here. HR is going to hire a therapist tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> you guys have therapists, like counselors here? Um, I'm volunteering. Uh, I'll be know, a counselor for the that's, team. That's what we were kind of hoping for was outcome. Yeah. All right, Randy. I'll come in once yeah. a month. <laughs> Thanks so much for being here. We're really excited to help you bring this passion to the world and this uh, amazing line of health products. Unify Health Labs is the brand. Randy Jackson is the man. Craig, Give thank it up. you, brother. Huge hippo. Thank, thank you. you, guys. All right. You guys are so nice, man. The hippos are so nice. All right. How often do you guys meet in this room, Craig? We usually meet here every Tuesday for the all hands meeting. So all this hands. Is a, this is a special, special. What gathering. do you discuss at these all hands? Well, you're gonna have to come to the next one and hang out. <laughs> right. We can have Randy read suggestions. Yeah. What do you guys yeah. think? Yeah. Huh? We what? do a suggestion box. Anyone can uh, send in anything they want, and it gets read no matter how controversial. So free clothing for the whole company. Yeah. That gets asked a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, don't even get me started on Hawaiian shirt Fridays. What? That's Hawaiian what people, shirt yeah. Friday. Yeah. Your brother's in, she's bringing some back. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah. tell him that's his job. Yeah. That's why he's in Hawaii. So, so next time you're in here on a Tuesday, we're going to have you submit a suggestion, and then you can help us read the suggestions, and then people guess which one is yours submitted. <laughs> what? Okay, listen. How often do the suggestions get made? Just throughout the week, and then every Tuesday they get read. But how often do they get implemented? A lot. A lot. What? Yeah. Yeah. No lie, really? Yeah. No lie. yeah. This place is cool, man. Yeah. 
If you would have come in a, a few Fridays ago, you would have seen formal Fridays where we all wore tuxedos. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Really? Well, you know, five or six of us. Oh my God, I love that. Yeah. Well, Randy, we're we're uh, so excited to have you as part of the team. We got to swag you up with oh, some yeah. hippo gear too. Do yeah. yeah, do come on. What? Yeah. We love the hippo gear. Yeah. Listen. Harry and I have a cup. We got. That's Harriet over there, guys. Yeah, give it up for Harriet. Harriet has been instrumental in helping us get this grand off, brand off the ground. You guys are so kind. Are these people work for you too, these filmers? This is our, our team, yeah. All right now. Yeah, this is this is the where the magic happens. It's happening as we speak. So, wow. Yeah. It's cool, man. Yeah. Should we get a team picture? Of course. Can we do that? A group picture. Yeah, this is a good all right, let's all line up on the stage. Thanks so much for watching. If you want to hear a story that's even wilder than that one, click here. You only have five seconds though. Five, four, three, two, one. Go!